0: Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted.
1: Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Nightsky. This episode, I am having a conversation with my good friend, Tim Hodges, Dr. Tim Hodges from the yes. University of Nebraska and Gallup. And the reason I wanted to have this conversation was for two reasons. One, actually, Kind of selfishly, because I wanted to talk to him a little bit about my learning a few months ago when I became a certified strengths coach through Gallup. See, I'm a big believer in the 34 strengths, your top five, your top 10, using them, being aware of them, advocating for yourself, being empathetic with others around their strengths, and building teams that can do their absolute best because you're focused on what they can do well when they lean into their strengths. This conversation kind of goes all over the place, like every time Tim and I talk, but it's really focusing on what are the different ways in which we can grow ourselves and others to be the best versions of ourselves so that we can be strong enough to use our strengths. Enjoy this conversation with me and Tim, and most importantly, listen, learn, grow forward so that you can run into the storms you're facing for others. So, welcome to the, uh, I was going to say the Strength Finder podcast. Take two. You're, take two. Here we go. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ted Nightsky. And today I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Tim Hodges from the University of Nebraska Strengths Finder. What is it? Institute, University? Strengths Global. Institute. Strengths Institute. And uh, Tim, Tim has joined me a few times in Wisconsin at different functions. And we've gotten to know each other and grow a friendship. And I wanted to have him on today again just to have our annual conversation of
2: what's going on in his world and what new research he has. So Tim, welcome. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. It's good to good to be back. I I looked and it was I think November about a year ago uh, when we had our last check-in. So it's it's time. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. Well, it's so much fun. So,
1: tell us a little bit about what you do professionally. I mean, last time we chatted, we kind of built around the one-room schoolhouse that you went to when you were a kid in Nebraska, but but now professionally like what is your job advancing, you know, strength-based leadership?
2: Yeah. Well, I I had a 20-year full-time career at Gallup right out of college, and that really led to um kind of by accident, I wasn't looking for a job, but Uh, circumstances arose and there was a need to have someone fill a faculty role at the University of Nebraska in the Clifton Strengths Institute. And the circumstances were their friend of mine was dealing with medical issues and I had offered to help out. So I jumped in as kind of an accidental professor, uh, got back to campus and really loved it and uh, taught classes for a year. And then that kind of morphed into the full-time position as executive director for the institute and then also as a management professor. Um, still work with Gallup on an occasional basis um, especially during the summer and other kind of quiet times on campus but you know it uh, this uh, in just a few weeks here we'll be celebrating what would have been Don Clifton's hundredth birthday so wow. hundred years ago a guy was born on a sheep ranch in in Butte Nebraska and uh, you know went and served in the military had a great a great beginning to his career in terms of uh, service and education and things but at at some point, kind of around the nineteen seventies, he had this idea about studying what's right with people, uh, and started the company that became Gallup. And uh, so there's a lot that's happened in the years since then. But the work we do on campus at UNL uh, in the Clifton Strengths Institute is, in a lot of ways, kind of an extension of the work that Don started there when he was a when he was a student and a professor back in the forties and fifties. That's wonderful. And yeah. what, what what types
1: of courses and classes are you teaching at the university?
2: Yeah. Well, we have a required introductory course called Introduction to Strengths that every student in the College of Business takes. So that's about a thousand students a year, uh, whether they like it or not. And some of them like it so much, they take it twice because it's required. And if you don't pass the first time, you get to do it again. So I think they enjoy it more the first time. But uh, but no, it's, it's really a, an in- the intent of that class is to help people transition successfully from high school to college or from whatever was happening before into the college of business and build their self-awareness and Um, With that course, they get two one-on-one coaching sessions with an upper-class student that we've invested in. So it gives them a chance to get to know someone who's a little bit further down the path than them and uh, have a bit of a mentoring relationship. And so that's the main uh, kind of flagship course. And then we teach additional courses through the graduate program as well as an undergraduate program for students interested in entrepreneurship and leadership. So. It's um yeah there's a mix of courses and then a lot of professional development with different offices sports teams administrators uh, folks all around campus are getting getting interested in this idea of strengths
1: and and I think strengths is something that is so important because it's cross generational it um it helps build empathy but I I guess as a leader what I what I appreciate about you know the strengths finder and and the tools that come along with it is that it provides me a pathway to support, you know, others um, a- as leaders in their journey as Buffaloes, and then most importantly, just as a person. And I love that you're doing it with 18 and 19 year olds as they're entering the university. Can you just tell us a little? You know, do you have any like quips or stories of, of kind of a, a young man or young woman's kind of transition as they've learned to see what may have been viewed? As deficits uh, in their in their k twelve education to assets as young adults,
2: that's a good question. I, I think a lot of, you know, people come to college for different reasons and have different family educational culture. Um in the college of business, we we it wouldn't be, it's a pretty common occurrence that a student would come in and say, I'm an accounting major. Why'd you choose accounting? Well, my dad's an accountant or maybe I'm a marketing major. Well, my mom's in marketing. And so a lot of times we choose our path based on what's familiar to us, which is often what our parents do. But in, in many cases, students, once they learn about who they are and what they, how they're really naturally wired, what their potential or their talents are. It causes them to kind of look up and look around and see what other people do for a living. And uh, if we can catch them early, uh, and many of them obviously will stay in the in the desired field and, and they won't change their major and there's no identity crisis or anything. But for some of them, it gives them just a real clarity about, wow, I didn't even know that existed. And so that's our one of the things we're really intentional about is getting them out of the classroom Go to the career fair. We bring interesting people into the classroom to help them understand what's the world of work really like, and how might you fit into that, and and what you know where where does something in the world that's important to you and your natural capacity where are those kind of lines cross. That's kind of a good indicator of a calling.
1: And I think one of the things, if people pay attention, and you know, for listeners who have not done their Strength Finder i think tim will highly recommend it as what i um, <laughs> all the cool kids are 31 million and more <laughs> all the cool kids yeah I, I think it's just fascinating for the reflective point like i said you know both both of my kids uh w- well they will be taking it they were gifted it for christmas because i took your advice when you said you gave it to your wife for a, a, a was it a birthday gift one year or something
2: yeah it was christmas but yeah <laughs> christmas yeah
1: and yeah. um I just, I just think it's such a powerful way for people to begin to navigate. And then, like I said, I, the advocacy, the self-advocacy that comes along when you say, "Listen, I'm, a, I'm strategic, futuristic, top two, and I am not good at, in those in the purple zone. I, I don't, I'm not a detail person. I'm not, I, I, I'm not a builder. You know, like I'm a dreamer, and I'm certainly not a maintainer. But just creating that language with with young people, especially going into college, uh, so that they can kind of, you know, steer themselves where they need to go to be able to maintain those strengths. Not that your lower 34 are weaknesses necessarily, as I've learned, they're kind of soft strengths, but to, to, to just kind of focus on those different pieces. So I think it's cool that you do that with, with young men and young women. And I just admire that.
2: Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a privilege to get, to be a part of that. And I, I might've shared last time we talked, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting and I've admired it for years before I was even involved. And then being involved, I can see it up, up close and I see the impact it can have. Uh, this year, one of those freshmen in college is one of my kids. So to see oh. and, and for him to have a coach who who says, Dad, you'll never believe what Will taught me about, you know, and it'll go off on his competition strength or his communication strength. And and I want to say, where do you think Will learned all that? But the better answer is, Wow, that's awesome. Way to go, Will. And so just to see from the parent standpoint. The conversations that are happening and to know that um there's some positive input that's going into his life at that you know there's a tight window of time where there's a lot of identity formation that takes place and i i love that we can inject a good dose of of realism and strengths into that window
1: do you think that it's or, or not do you think tell me tell me how helpful it is for uh the the undergrads the freshmen to get coached by an upperclassman that's got to be mm-hmm. awesome
2: it, I think it's the most important part. Um, I think the assessment is fantastic and it gives you a language and, and some precision and and there's, you know, statistical rigor behind it. It's, it's accurate, but if all you do is take the assessment and read through the report, you might smile and nod and feel a little bit better about yourself for a little while. But if you don't actually have a conversation with somebody in a meaningful way, I think so much of that just kind of stays locked up in the report. And so, having a coach that'll bring out some good questions and uh, and help to kind of loosen you up a little bit and and challenge you on some things and ask you for examples, I think that's you know to talk it through is really what what seems to make a difference. And in the case of the undergraduate students we're working with, to have a a, a near peer, you know, someone just a year or two further down the road that that can identify with a lot of the things they're going through, that that's the magic. Um, there's there's hundreds of universities and and high schools and all kinds of organizations around the world that are doing this, but I don't know of any that are doing the level of coaching and the amount of coaching that we're doing. I mean, thousands of coaching sessions a year, are required as part of a class. And it's a heavy lift, but it's it's magic. It's so fun. My most mission-filled days of the semester are the ones where I walk around kind of in the week that the coaching session is due. And every table in the coffee shop, at the union, all around campus, every park bench, depending on the weather, um, is, is two people sitting down and one of them's got their iPad out and they're looking at their report. And it's just, it's really cool to see that kind of magic happen. What have
1: been the kind of takeaways and learning for Gallup through all of these undergraduate students taking their strengths finders. And I, I I mean, I know the research shows that age, generation, gender, none of it really matters. There's no like themes that come out, but I mean, what, what have, what are your learnings or takeaways or research that you guys have, have used? Because, you know, I'm in the business of advancing kids with others and it'd be kind of nice to know, like, as they're entering the university level, what can we do at the K-12 level? Uh, to support yeah. that journey,
2: you know, I was around. I, I worked at Gallup. I started in 2000, and the the Strengths Quest book, which is the one where we introduced strengths to a higher ed audience, that came out just around that time. So I've been kind of around the whole time that this was going on. But I don't think we realized how quickly it would take off in higher education. Um, Gallup would say there's six or seven hundred thousand students who took the assessment in the last year. And if you think if about in iPads or, you know, some of the databases, there's about 2 million first-time full-time college students that go to campus each year. So round numbers, we're talking about a, a fourth to a third of the college students in the country are probably getting exposed to strengths as part of their time on campus. So it's really taken off and it is one of those things that's increasing at an increasing rate. I mean, there's more people each year in higher ed that have done that. So Gallup certainly learned a lot from that, both around kind of career exploration and building your confidence about how do you talk about your strengths in a job interview? And cause you know, the question's coming, you might as well have a good answer ready, right. and it doesn't have to be Gallup jargon, but just to build a level of clarity and confidence and self-awareness Those are all things that hiring managers are looking for. Um, The the biggest update around that is uh, just a few months ago, Gallup released a new version of the report, the Clifton Strengths for Students report, and it's fantastic. You get your top five. There's action items about what you can do as a student to really apply those strengths. So it moves beyond, oh, that's really interesting, to, wow, I've never thought about it that way. Maybe I should try that. And there's huh. even a couple of worksheets or activities built into that report. So if a student is choosing their own adventure and doesn't have a coach or someone to walk through and walk, walk with them, um, there's some pretty good self-exploration activities built in. So I think we've I think we've really kind of amped up the resources available around that. And that student one is
1: what? Is that seventh grade through twelfth grade or
2: what? yeah. So the there's two assessments total. One assessment is called the Clifton Strengths Explorer. And that one's really intended for middle school. We kind of say ten to fourteen year olds, or you could say, you know sixth, seventh, eighth grade, maybe fifth graders if they're reading well and so on. that that assessment has ten themes and you get or ten or twelve themes and you get your top three. Uh, so it's a little less robust. It's a little more um, accessible for students at a developmental level that's a little bit different. Really, anyone high school and above would take the same assessment it's packaged in different ways. So the Clifton Strengths for students is the same assessment that you and I would have taken as adults. It's the same one you take if you buy a strengths-based leadership book or a living your strengths book for a faith community or whatever. Um, so really the full assessment, there's 34 themes, takes you about 30 minutes, 25 minutes, and you get your top five, or you can get your full 34 report so the the definitions the core definitions are the same the survey assessment items are the same but the reporting is more role specific for some of those some of those key roles so there's a there's a report about leaders managers salespeople um students so yeah there's there's several new deliverables that have come out in the in the recent years to really help apply those within your profession or within your calling in life
1: yeah i love that i you know, I run student leadership trainings and academies, and there's always a demand for like, we want another one. And mm-hmm. the, the the direction I'm headed now is to, you know, have the students take those one of those two assessments, depending on their level, and then bring them together and educate them around that, um, you know, their, their own kind of, I don't know what the proper way to say this is, but kind of their own self empathy, like to try to really understand themselves. Um, So that they can, they can have the tools and language to advocate for themselves. Because again, like I started out this, the questioning, I, I think one of the things that fascinates me about the, you know, Nebraska's approach is it positions young men and women to see what may, others may have gone after them for as, as a, an asset instead of a deficit, because, you know, like my top five, you know, and I'm going to ask you your top five. So mine are strategic, futuristic, a Achie- activator uh, positivity and learner. And you know then when I go into my 10 and then my 16 and then my 34 you know I just get really excited because there's just so many parallels there but like you know when 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 I learned in my late 20s those different pieces like my activator futuristic you know strategic like always trying to do new stuff totally made sense to me when I started to read about those pieces and then when I started to get coached around them. And it's just, it helps me amongst even my own leadership team build empathy. Like, don't, don't lean into me thinking that I'm going to do harmony or consistency. It's not going to right. happen. That's <laughs> right. That's on a, on a strengths report of 34, that's number 50 and 58. Like they're not even, <laughs> it's not even a soft.
2: You can appreciate report. it in others is how we would like to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: what I do is I need it in others. Yeah. Right, yeah. so, that, so like, if I need to, if I want to get to my strategic or futuristic vision, I need people around me who are purple to come in and say like, all right, one, two, zero triangle. And that's how we can get this done, Theodore, and slow yeah. down. How do yeah. you use your strengths? Uh, and, and what are your top five?
2: Yeah, well, and when you mentioned the color purple or things, you're referring to those theme domains. So for those who aren't familiar, there's four different domains that the themes are arranged in. It's not a, a perfect statistical sort or anything, but it's a conceptual way to organize the themes into the categories. So the yellow ones on the report are the influencing themes. So that's your activator, or if you've got high communication or uh, different themes like that that, that really are about how do you how do you stretch a circle wider, include people, bring it, you know push ideas to an audience. There's the the relationship building themes or the ones that are colored blue on the report. Um, those are about how do you build those relationships and kind of become the glue for your team and in lots of different ways, whether it be through your developer or your includer or your empathy, uh, your relator. Um, then the executing is the purple themes. Those are the ones that apparently were were left out in the factory when they were building you. Uh, <laughs> but that's about how do you get things done? Now, you obviously get things done. You have to, but you probably get things done by being curious about it and influencing other people and making a commitment to someone who matters to you and then following through on that commitment. But the the um, those executing themes, the achiever theme and, and uh, some of those are really about how do you just wake up and leave the cave and kill something and drag it home. You know, that accomplishment yep. that really fuels you. And then the the fourth category uh, are the green ones. Those are the strategic thinking themes. So that's the ideation, the, uh, the intellection, uh, the futuristic. Some of those themes are really strategic as one of those. Uh, so how do you think about and process information? Um, some people have one of their top five in each of those domains and two of their themes in one that's how the math works right Mm -hmm. there's one remainder one um but then other people are real concentrated in one domain and and others are spread across two or three there's no science that says it's better to be spread across or it's better to be concentrated in one domain the science says it's better to know who you are and act like it and Mm -hmm. if you're real concentrated in one area to to own that and to appreciate that that's not the only way to success. So surround yourself with people who are great complimentary partners. And if you're spread across all four, same thing. Use what you have and supplement in the areas you don't. So, so my, uh, my top five, I have Maximizer, Relator, Belief, Woo, and Positivity. Uh, so my maximizer is about excellence. Is my standard. I love taking something that's working well and seeing if we can make it better. I walked into a fantastic situation on campus. If if it were a startup organization or a turnaround effort, I probably wouldn't have been as interested. But the fact that it was in great shape and I saw ways we could make it even better, that was really attractive to my maximizer. Um, my belief talent really drives me in a lot of ways. That's that mission or purpose. Um, there's some things that I I appreciate that people are interested in. It's just not my thing. <laughs> but if I can get if I can really get passionate about something, I've got another gear that that really that really drives me. Uh, Woo and Relator are both, um, so Woo is actually an influencing theme. And then Relator is a relationship building theme, but they're both about people. Woo is about, um, know how many people can i meet it's it's about the thrill of the campaign more than the office you know and so it's enjoying um it's enjoying just knocking on doors my grandpa ran for county commissioner and i i still remember my cousin and i going to a trailer park and knocking on doors and and seeing how many business cards we could hand out and asking people to vote for our grandpa and all that i love that kind of thing i have no call reluctance i don't get nervous around new people I, i can't remember the last time i got nervous around a person uh, Cause it's just, that's just kind of how I'm wired. Relator though, says it's more introverted. Relators are, are, I need four or five people that are kind of my ride or die, as the kids say, you know, just the, the people who know me really well. And when I'm with them, there's another, another level of depth and trust and, and care in that relationship. And then positivity is is a theme that's about bringing energy to a situation and kind of stimulating thoughts and ideas and energy and and uh, people don't fall asleep in my classes very often. Uh, mm-hmm. I keep things pretty lively. And if they do fall asleep, that's good audience feedback that I need to, you know, <laughs> pivot a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, so those are my top five. And um, I've. I've, uh, I learned those top five uh, over 20 years, almost, well, it'd be 25 years ago by now. uh, And I've been really trying to develop those ever since. So it's really, really been a fun journey.
1: I think one of the things that I love about your, your five are, you know, you and I have two, I have two of yours in my top 10 and I have positivity at four and you have it at five. And I think that, you know, last year you and I were at the, the Gallup, um, uh, awards banquet for the uh, workplace uh, piece for the q12 and yeah. uh without missing a beat you just started ripping into me and then I started ripping into you and I'm like hey I gotta go I'll see you later and the woman you were standing with was like what just happened and yeah. it's the positivity woo combination of two guys who just kind of know like where we stand what we are and that that's that's our, you know, weird love language of like, yeah, I'll see you later. Punch, punch, punch. Um, <laughs> the audience
2: so, feedback is probably that we should self-regulate when we're in public because correct. not everyone can handle all of that. But <laughs>
1: Correct. Correct. Um, but I have a question for you, Tim, with this. How do you use this with your teams? Like how do you, when you when you onboard somebody new to your group or uh, mm-hmm. are, are introducing each other? Because I think one of the things that I love about Gallup Strength Finder is, is it's kind of a cult, right? It's like it's almost a secret Masonic handshake where people walk up and then they find out, oh, you know you're five. And then oh yeah, yeah, what are you? What are you? And then yeah. immediately you go into like I, I can I now know how to navigate this person. So, you know, with your years of experience literally being the expert on it, how how do you use it to support your teams onboarding, etc.?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, and I I've kind of Got the deck stacked in my favor because Clifton Strengths is on the door, uh, so I don't think anyone's surprised. If, but and obviously, people who are attracted to work with us are probably already at a basic level, kind of aware of it. We've hired a couple of our alumni and things, but but I I would say whether it's my organization or any, I mean. Integrating it into the onboarding process is really good. Maybe even integrating it into the selection process, as long as you promise not to hire somebody because of what the themes that they have.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: if it gives them a level of self-awareness coming into that final interview, I think it's great. But it's not it's not validated for selection purposes, but self-awareness is a gift. And if you can go in and say, here's what my top themes are and and what are yours if you're the hiring manager and how might we work together... But the caution I would have, I was just in Atlanta with the school district a couple of days ago, and um, they're they're doing some onboarding with um, with new employees, taking the assessment. But I cautioned them. I said, if you're going to give everybody a code when they get there, now they know you know those things about them. You need to be willing and ready to adjust your style accordingly. Because if I know you lead with a lot of intellection and um, analytical and, you know, Discipline and I just walk in every morning with a new surprise, that's not leading well, right? Correct. Because Correct. people with those themes would rather have some advance notice and some space to think, and they're going to get to the right answer, but there's a different pace there. But if I force my activator or my positivity on them, it can feel like too much too soon. So I need to individualize to each of my team members based on the strengths that they have. So I always say, if you're going to give them a code, great but make sure you're going to be willing to have a conversation with them and adjust your style to fit the best of who they are, or else it just feels like another box checking activity and it doesn't feel authentic that way. So I think you've got to be willing to really go there if you're going to go there.
1: I love that. And and so I have in the last two years run a few like executive retreats where we've literally locked ourselves in a cabin in the woods around a fireplace and I, I start all of them with everyone bringing their 34 report and we spend four hours, you know, groups of five, six, and we start at number five and everybody reads their number five and then they go into the detail on it and this is who I am and this is what you can expect. And these are my blind spots. And, um, at the end of each time I ask everybody two questions, how can we support you when you're in your strength? And then to what you just said the second question i ask is what do you need us to do differently to support you in your strength because again like i i've seen people weaponize any type of assessment uh gallop uh you know anything um i don't want to mention any of the other ones but um But my, my point, I've seen people weaponize and be like, oh, that's, that's so like somebody who would want consistency. That's so consistency and deliberative and disciplined. You're being so purple right now. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's a, that isn't even a subtle shot at that person. So instead if if those are your strengths, like, you know, so what, what would you need us to do differently? You know, what, what do you need people around you to do, Tim, so that you can stay in your strengths areas, especially like, you know, maximizer is a pretty unique one. Um, Well, they're not, it's not that unique, but I don't, I don't think that's a popular, like
2: top 10 for a lot of people. So like, Clifton and I both have it, so it must be the right answer, but yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. You and the founder. Right. Right. No, but yeah. In in a case like Maximizer, I mean, it used to be called perfectionist. Uh, It used to be called lots of things when people, before we had this language. So um, I need to, I need to know that sometimes I just need to ship the work. I may not have time for one more draft. And so sometimes I work better with a deadline because otherwise, I mean, we're about to start a semester and and I'm tweaking a course syllabus and I I don't really want to publish the site yet because I might have another idea tonight that I want to integrate before I publish it, right? So sometimes Maximizer is about how much better can it be? And and I need to hear from some people, hey, it's good enough. In fact, it's way better than good enough. Um, my my father-in-law, we joke with him. He's he was a shop teacher and a and an ag ed teacher and things. And we used to say to him, Lynn, we're not taking it to the fair. Okay. We're just <laughs> we're just sweeping the garage. You know, this isn't no judge is gonna walk by and check our work here. So sometimes we need that kind of feedback to say, you're really good at making this perfect, but this isn't, you know, this one doesn't have to be quite at that level. So uh, anyway, that feedback's good. When you talk about teams, you made me think too, um, you know, giving someone the assessments great, even better is to make sure they have a chance to decide which of those themes they love and to process it on their own before we go public with it. Um, as I've worked with clients, you know, every week for the last 20 years around this, the one of the worst things that can happen is that everybody takes the assessment as pre-work to a a seminar or something, and then they walk in the room and there's this grand reveal because everybody likes Excel you know, team grids, and all of a sudden, everybody's themes are up on the wall, and there's new people who've never even had a chance to read those words yet, and all of a sudden, people start making assumptions about them. So it's way better to let the person decide and to even say in their own words, these are the themes that I love the most and the themes I really resonate the most with, and if there's one that they're not sure about yet, the assessment says you've got potential there, but you get to choose whether you want to accept that potential or not and whether you Mm. want to develop it. So I think there's a really important, and this is hard for you and I who both have activator pretty high. There's times where we need to slow down and give the person a chance to think about it before we just kind of do this. Everybody's exposed and here, you know, this is the end all be all. Cause there's, there's times where people want to kind of hold off on one of those themes and and that's important information for us too. Well, and,
1: and to your point, I mean, I, I've been on the receiving end of a, oh boy, (laughs) Um, because you know one strategic, two futuristic, three activator, four positivity, five learner, and then you get into my ten, and it's belief individualization, woo communication, ideation. If Mm -hmm. I get an idea and an audience, this happens to me a lot, and And a
2: microphone, yeah, and a a
1: microphone. (laughs) But like people will like, yeah, let's do it, and then they
2: leave, yeah.
1: this was common when i was a superintendent the next day a principal would like come to my office like hey you got a minute i know i committed to this yesterday but after i thought about it and (laughs) it was like that's where i need people around me to recognize that they have permission and this is the fun part of the strengths ability to facilitate these conversations to to step in and say like let's let's slow this down and and how my how a lot of my team manages it is like can we hear your ideas in advance because the other thing is i will lose steam on my ideas cuz i'll get a new one right yeah,
2: shiny object syndrome yeah correct
1: correct yeah so tim one of the other things yeah. i wanted to know about with and and then i want to move into engagement a little bit with the yeah. with the strength finder piece is over your lifetime you know you said you took it 20 years ago in in 2000 how has yours changed
2: mm-hmm. Well, I actually haven't retaken the assessment um, in that entire time. It would be hard for me to retake it because I I helped on the the technical report where we talked about the structure of the assessment and what items load into what themes and mm-hmm. all that. So it would be really difficult for me to answer the question how I really feel because I would see an item and I would say, oh yeah, that's a learner. Yeah, I have learner, so I'll pick that item. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, it would. Yeah, I I mean, I, this sounds arrogant. I don't mean it that way, but I know too much to take the assessment you know, it's like, if you designed the SAT or ACT, you kind of know what the answers are already. So, so for me, it hasn't been a productive, you know, exercise. I don't think it would be to retake the assessment, but what I have done and what I really recommend when people say, should I retake it? We used to say, you really don't need to, because statistically it's got real high test retest reliability, Mm -hmm. but people would say, well, I just want to know if it's changed. Well, that's fine. Go ahead. It's, you know, 20, 25 bucks for another code. If you're just curious, go take it again. That's fine. But for about the same money as buying another code, you can upgrade to your full 34. And I think that's a better use of the money and probably better developmentally. Because what really happens is it's not like we have five themes and then it falls off a cliff and we don't have any of the others. Right. I mean, most of us operate out of eight or 10 or 12 themes on a pretty consistent basis. And usually what happens when people take it multiple times you know their top 10 might change a little bit but mostly they shuffle around so number two becomes number five and number three becomes number eight number you know six jumps up into your top five and and you act like a lot of things have changed in reality you're just shuffling the strong themes that are already up at the top and then the middle ones kind of shuffle around and the bottom ones shuffle around but for me, developmentally, I mean, I'll go back and read through that full 34 report at least a couple times a year. I always do mm-hmm. it at the beginning of the year, like January, and then at the beginning of the semester as an educator, that's almost as much of a new year as January. <laughs> and and I I notice, I mean, I helped write the darn report, and I still notice words I didn't even think about before. Mm-hmm. Because even though the words on the page haven't changed in the 20 or 25 years since I took it, everything about me around me and in, you know, everything else has changed. So I'll go back and I'll notice themes that, you know, number seven that I didn't even notice last time I went through it, or mm. a certain theme really feels relevant right now where I haven't really tapped into that one too much before. So I think it's just that continual exploration. It, it bothers me when people say, oh yeah, we did strengths a few years ago. Everybody got an assessment and we, we had workshops and it was great, but they haven't done anything with it in a few years. Well, it ought to be, I mean, and yes, about my team, my team twice a year, we do a kind of retreat with the few of us that are, that are core on our team. And we'll, I'll ask them as pre-work, I'll say, read through your report. And I want you to bring a couple of new insights as you go through it this time, you know, that we should know about you. And we all know each other really well, but that exercise has been, has been helpful. So just so we don't treat it as a check off the box activity, and you may not need to retake the assessment. You can, if you want to, but you definitely need to reread the report and talk about it in the context of what what are the relationships in your life? What are the projects you're working on? What are your dreams? All those mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, all those kind of things around us change. So even if the themes don't change, they'll be expressed in new ways.
1: I love that because um it, and i'm I'm evidence for it. So I uh, took it at a previous employer, lost my login, but had the paper copy. Mm-hmm. And then thought, ah, oh, the heck with it. I'll just retake it. And then I'll do the 34. And basically all that happened was it was like my 10 Scrabble letters just got moved around a little bit in front of me. My top yeah. four stayed the exact same. Communication dropped down three and learner bumped into four, but it, it was the same top 10. And yeah. I remember I remember a long time ago, and maybe you can speak to this. I I, I thought you used to be able, you used to get like, if it's, if your, if your number one was strategic, it would show like you had a 81% match on strategic and then you had a 80% match on future. I, if, am I accurate in that memory?
2: Uh, yeah. One of the early iterations of the report did include that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's why I think what's important for people to understand is like when you get your 10 or 12 or wherever mm-hmm. you look, they could be very tight. In, yeah. in 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 alignment. And that's why I really like, and I'm yeah. stealing this, or may I apply this? <laughs> I think you paid for it. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. But but you're, you're like, which one do you love? Like, where do you find your heart yeah. going to? Because I just finished my, my certificate for Strength Finder coaching and training. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a gentleman in there, a good friend of mine, actually, who I, I kind of got to go in the training with us, Steve. And he had a Ranger in his top five. And he really struggled with it. Like he he was actually actively like, I don't believe it. And then as we would get into the training around what an arranger was, he could start to see himself in it. And it was just interesting because I like your language of like, which ones do you love? You don't, if you don't see your, if you don't see the strength in yourself, then geez, Louise, don't spend any time on it. Focus on what it, so I really like that perspective
2: we've kind of subtly included new language in the reporting. Instead of just talking about top five all the time for people who have their full 34 report, we'll say, what are your best five? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think five is still a good number, but you might choose your number one, three, five, six, and nine as your best five themes, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's more, which ones do you want to use than which ones did an assessment say that you have? I mean, obviously the assessment's valid and a great, you know, great resource, but you get to decide what you're going to do next, not Gallup, not the assessment. So I think there's more agency if you have a, I mean, obviously you already chose them. You're the one who filled out the assessment, but if you then choose which of these themes do I want to apply in this situation, I think, I think that's where there's the win. And that's where they're having a good coach involved is helpful. Cause if communication is your number 29 theme and you say, well, I want to use my communication in this situation, a, a coach who's solid on the theory would would say, well, you need to get to the outcome of communicating effectively, but let's think about which ones of your themes can help you get there. Because mm-hmm. there's probably a real faint pulse in your communication talent, but it's pretty far down on the list. Don't try to do that. And it's meant this temptation to be well-rounded and, well, if it's at the bottom of the report, if I just try hard enough, I can probably have it. Mm. Yeah, maybe, but, boy, you'll waste a lot of time in the process. What could you use instead? You know, can what's I, up at the top? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's why I like the idea of kind of leaning into others, because if I want to, you know, like, like you said, if it it, take communication, we'll let's stick with that one. If that's in the middle of my report, I'm probably okay at it. But if I can lean into somebody who's like, Hey, what what, your communication is too, for you help me understand this, or what, what should I do? And then, and seeking out that coaching amongst the other people with their strengths. And that's, that's one of my huge takeaways. So my next question for you is this. We have in my organization committed to becoming a strengths uh a strengths-based uh employee group a strengths-based organization. So yeah. we are at 90 we're at the 91st percentile for Q12 this year. We're yeah. very proud of that. Yeah, we're very proud of yeah. that. Thank you. But it keeps me up at night. And what mm-hmm. keeps me up at night is like when you reach that level of engagement where only 9% of the world is more engaged than you, which actually isn't even true. Hmm. How do you sustain that? And our next iteration is we're going to quarterly coach around our strengths. We already do one-on-one coaching every month, but now we're going to do four times a year getting into your strengths. We've invested into 14 people out of our 200 employees to get strengths training. What advice would you have for organizations that want to go on the strengths journey with their employees, their students, staff, to implement so that you actually get the most out of the opportunity to have your strengths come full circle and be yeah. the core focus.
2: I love that question. My maximizer loves to think. How can you get to the ninety-fifth percentile? How can we, you know, oh. keep keep bouncing just to squeeze a little more? Um, I think there's two things to to start with. One is. You can be a really strong organizational culture, and that's awesome for the people on the inside, and it can be really weird to join that. So you've got to be really hmm. intentional about how do you onboard a new employee to that culture so that they don't feel like it's a cult, right? Right. And and so that they understand, you know, because sometimes the the language of strengths, you know, we use words like woo and activator and relator and 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 people are like, what is that? What are you even talking about? You know, so we've got to make sure we're welcoming people in layman's terms, right? And giving them time to own who they are and and not like putting their top five on their name tag. And then as they meet every new employee, the first day on the job, they're being analyzed, you know, that can be really intimidating. So <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's one thought, just as you, as you think about sustaining a, a strong culture um, obviously you got to be really intentional about choosing people who fit, but ease them into it. You know, don't, don't fire hose them on the first day or it can, it can cause a good person to not come back on their second day. So that, that'd be one thing. The other, and I know you've got a lot of HR leaders that listen to this podcast and they're going to cringe or, or want to listen to this on 2x speed because they don't want to hear it, but <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly joking. Um, on my team, twice a year, we go through our physical printed job description and I ask them three questions. I say, is there anything on this job description that's unclear? Is there anything in this job description that you aren't doing or don't feel like you do very well? And is there anything that you do that's not included in this job description? and it doesn't mean we have to formally update the job description you know twice a year but it gives us a chance in the context and this is right after they've read through their strengths report and shared about that I mean, people have this incredible desire to grow within a role. And we assume retention means we got to promote everybody or else they're going to probably leave. Some people want to be experts within the role
1: mm-hmm. and really
2: helping them grow up through that. So one way to do that is to make some small tweaks. You know, just a tactical example. We moved the the, the role of who approves timesheets from one team member to another. We put it there last year because somebody already knew how to do it and it was quicker that way, but it's really not connected to her work. So we, that's a role that we switched from someone to someone else. In another case, it was that they were going to assist in event planning, but in reality, they're pretty much the event planner. So we're just calling it that now. Those are subtle tweaks and it doesn't mean you have to apply for another job or whatever, but just to say, knowing who you are and, and knowing how you want to grow, um, you know, how can we make sure we're making tweaks along the way? The other question I ask is I'll say, you know, what do you want to be doing five years from now? And to really encourage them to think about that career path. Now, some people don't want to ask that because, or they don't want to answer that because what if five years from now I want to be doing something else? Look, I want to know that now. Maybe you want to stay here for three more years, but in, you know, when your kids graduate, you're probably going to relocate and you're going to do something else or whatever let's know that now and help you finish well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the reason you want to leave is because you don't think you're going to get to do fill in the blank. Well, maybe we can find a way to trend in that direction. So I always like, and your futuristic would love that, but I always like to think what, what direction are we headed? I tell, I tell my team all the time, I want to be able to, to take a step back from our role and kind of look at it every once in a while and, and make sure that you've grown in the, in the last, you know, six months, last year, and that the organization's getting better. And if at any point your need to grow passes what we can offer, then we got to address that and help you go somewhere else. And if at any point we're growing more than what you can perform, then we're going to have to have that conversation. But as often as we can keep those two paths in parallel, that's a win for everybody involved.
1: Oh, I think that is fantastic. And again, it's that application. Mm
2: -hmm. And, and then like,
1: what, are, what is your reaction or response to the idea of quarterly sitting down and having that opportunity to have uh you know, a colleague? Cause I, I really liked, yeah. I like, what did you say? A near student or a near aged kid? Near like, peer. Yeah. Near peer. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. God. Rhyming and alliteration or no, not <laughs> right? <I> But <laughs> what, what do you, what advice would you give organizations that are moving in that direction where they're, they're investing in that specific coaching around? Cause I like your yeah. reflective questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to, we're going to use those, but mm-hmm. but like what, what other advice would you have for that, that experience yeah. or, or that process?
2: Well, I, I would say, especially in organizational like yours, that you're, you're building Ted, where you've got a couple hundred people who are strengths aware. It's, I mean, come up with a few questions, pair people up and give them a chance to talk through their own strengths. I mean, whether it's, you know, what, which of your strengths do you use in your role most? I mean, come up with a handful of questions and create space at those quarterly times, For them, maybe do a couple rotations for them to have a strengths-based conversation with someone else. Um, I I, uh, started at Gallup right at the time when they published two big books. One was called First Break All the Rules. That was Uh the employee engagement book. And one was called Now Discover Your Strengths. That was the strengths introduction. And they were published a couple of years apart. I think a win going back, uh, we would have sold less books if I were in charge, but that would have been one book. The idea originally was, Coaches will be great at the strengths part. Managers will be great at the engagement part. I think the win is managers are great at the coaching and engagement part and Mm. integrate that in. So the more you can create people's capacity to have coaching conversations with each other, even if you're not in the room or their manager's not, you know, so it's not just this top down. You can't talk about strengths unless you got a coach. You're creating the capacity to have those conversations anyway. And that's when you'll know you've really become a strengths-based organization is when it's happening organically, even when it's not on the agenda. You know, when people are having these meaningful conversations and you overhear things, it's like, okay, that was good.
1: Yeah. One of my things that I've really started to evolve in, and and I want to hear your response to this is whenever we have organizational conflict between a couple of leaders, one of the things I do is I step back and I go back and look at what their strengths are and i see these very interesting thematic pinch points of of people who are detail oriented analytical and then people who are kind of dreamers sitting in a room with somebody who's more relationship based and what i what i've now started it, it's almost like i've got a whole new world view because i see like someone who's really strong with relationships advocating for like the emotions and the feelings and the and the and the overall you know they're kind of the heart driven leader and then I've got someone over there going, but we have to do this and it's going to save money. And, and I'll stop him and I'll be like, first of all, I just want to recognize I am loving this conflict because we're all operating from our strengths. Now we have to figure out a way to bridge your need for evidence and your need for care and concern and your need for us to move forward and how we're going to do that. And it's just this polite pause. How, how what do you think of that? And how, how do you coach around situations like that?
2: You know, I, I love when there's a little bit of conflict because that means we trust each other enough to be real. You've got to really worry about a culture if people act like everything's okay all the time and aren't willing to actually go there. So I I heard somebody say uh, a while back, if uh, if two of you are arguing, one of you has your back to the customer. <laughs> so if, we're, if we get too much conflict, we're probably losing sight of the uh, – and it's almost like physically – you know, we're trying to work through this big, pro- you know, we're planning the summer retreat and we're trying to figure out who does what best and, and there's conflict going on. If the conflict ends up being one employee arguing with another employee because you're doing it wrong, that's probably not real productive. But if you physically kind of like stand shoulder to shoulder looking at the problem and figure out what can I use? What can you use? How can we get there? Then, then it's us working against the problem, mm-hmm. not you know, us against each other. So sometimes it's a physical, you know, just even a physical posture of how do you set up the room and, you know, put the two people who are in conflict right next to each other. Don't put them across from each other. They'll sit there and glare at each other the whole meeting, Mm -hmm. but set them next to each other. And, you know, then they're staring at the problem together and little things like that can, can matter. But I, I appreciate when there's trust, uh, enough to be able to say what you really think. And the old improv line, yes, and right, yeah, right, not right. We don't we don't have to choose which option. We can probably do both. How do we how do we get there?
1: Yeah, in the Midwest, there's this great no yeah buts. Like people say <laughs> yeah but you know uh-huh. I think that's a good idea yeah but I was in uh-huh. a meeting a couple of weeks ago and somebody <laughs> said We're, one of our new norms is no yeah buts, and there was a guy there <laughs> from right. New York and he was like what in the hell are you talking about? Um, <laughs> All right, I want to transition here for the last couple of minutes and and. Hear from you. What are what are things you are hearing and learning about with engagement trends globally, uh, and then in the United States that you know we should be aware of as we're heading into the second part of the you know Q1 and two for a lot of businesses, Q3 yeah. and four for others, and for school second semester.
2: Yeah, well, the the definition of engagement is how involved with and enthusiastic and committed you are towards your work or your school or whatever it is you're you're hoping to be engaged about. Uh, and Gallup's got 12 famous questions that you can find easily online learn more about that. But when we look at the data there's engaged not engaged and actively disengaged employees the The stats behind the the algorithm behind those 12 questions kind of helps people get into the one of those categories. The numbers haven't changed a lot. So when you ask about trends, roughly a third of U.S. employees are engaged at work. Um, I think it went down a percent or two over the the last 12 months. In the in the world, it's about 23%, which is up a percent or two. So more engaged in the U.S. than most places in the world. Um, but uh, it's roughly a third engaged, about half not engaged, and then 15 17%, 18% actively disengaged. And so the stats in that way haven't changed a lot. Um, but it did, Now, and I would have been completely wrong about this. When the pandemic came on, I would have assumed engagement went down because everything else seemed to get a little bit worse. Actually, there was a rallying effect early in the pandemic and engagement kind of spiked in the short term. But then uh, it kind of, as the pandemic dragged on, it kind of eroded and and dropped down a little bit before the you know, below the, pe- the pre-pandemic baseline, it's pretty much back to where it was uh, back in 2020. Um, that's the macro trend. Individual organizations, the more effort you put into building a great workplace, the more that effort is rewarded in in the engagement results and more importantly, in the performance. So I don't want to say nobody's gotten better, but when we do our polling data, that's a random sample and things like that, it it hasn't moved a lot. It was trending slightly up and then a little hiccup at the pandemic uh, and we're kind of we're still just about a third. So still, plenty of people uh, are something less than engaged in their job. Yeah, the, I the, think. Yeah, oh, but, go ahead. No, go ahead, Tim. Well, I was going to say the other the other big takeaway though is we've we've looked at you know pandemic, remote work, um, all kinds of different changes that have been kind of in our face in the last five years or so. We've realized that while the twelve questions are incredibly important, they're not the end all, be all. And so we've looked at what other issues are there beyond the 12 core questions in addition to, not in place of, and we're so creative, we call it the Q12 plus. (laughs) So it's the Q12, the core set of items. But then we added four additional items that I think uh, help capture, not every organization does it, it's not required, but uh, we know diversity, equity, inclusion are an issue that needs to be addressed. and, And the cleanest way of asking in one question about that issue is, at work, are you treated with respect? Mm-hmm. If respect is in place, a lot of the other issues solve themselves. Um, the the there's obviously an issue around burnout and mental health. Um, we ask a question: My organization cares about my well-being. Uh, really important. Uh, if people can say yes to that, you know, game changer. Then uh, there's a question around kind of the coaching habit. The Gallup book "Culture Shock" it, that published uh, that came out just after the pandemic. The biggest takeaway from that was that. If uh, if each of us as managers would have a meaningful conversation with each of our employees every seven days, it would really change things. So we we added a question: I've received meaningful feedback in the last week, which kind of captures that manager relationship, some recognition, and that's important. And then the last one is um, is around customer. Uh, We've kind of lost sight of customers, we've gotten real transactional, and some of the marketplace relationships have thinned out a little bit, and and we know that's not sustainable. So we added a question, does your organization always deliver on the promises you make to your customers, Mm -hmm. which forces you to have a conversation about who is our customer, and what promises do we make to them? and are we actually delivering on those so the Q12 is still incredibly important over 50 million employees around the world more than 200 countries where the Q12 has been rolled out i didn't even know there were 200 countries but apparently there's <laughs> at least that many so so it's it's still really i mean there's a lot of work to be done with that core set of questions but i think the new questions um, bring up some additional topics that some organizations want to want to really dig into while we while we got them on the line we ask them those too
1: well, first, I'm going to send you a globe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's a history teacher on this call, and it yeah, wasn't I mean, me. Right, right over there. Didn't know there were 200 <laughs> countries. Come on, man. Um, well, it changes all the time, you know? That's true. That's true. Two, <laughs> 201, 226. Uh, and I really appreciate that, because what I like about the plus part now is I, I think where we have come as a, a, a country... Uh, moving out of kind of our Puritan, rub some dirt on it and, and get over it kind of mindset is actually caring about mental well-being and fitness, caring about overall employee well-being, including finan- financial you know stability, financial planning, financial literacy, and, and just like the care and concern for however you define family. If that's your best friends, if it's pets, if it's nieces, neighbors, whatever it is. And- yeah. um, I think that's going to be the big differentiator for employers as we continue to have a declining population more less competition for positions and more competition for employers for talent and and that's one thing that we see is when we have a job posting our uh, my colleagues actively go seek other people who are good people to come work for us and that's that's a real positive trend that I think that people who focus on, especially those the plus the new five or four questions, will yeah. will start to see.
2: You know the the my my favorite I don't know I like them all, but my my favorite one is the one around well being or that how do we address burnout and mental health? is that my organization cares about my well being. I was uh, doing some work with a a new coach on campus at the university, and and he was welcoming some new recruits, and he he invited me over, and we had a little. Um, he was talking to the recruits and their parents. And he said, you know, some of you are coming out of the transfer portal. You're just going to be here for a year. Others of you just graduated high school and you're going to be here for four or five years. Um, regardless, I hope that someday you can look back on this time and say your life is better because you are at this university. Mm. What if every CEO or executive director could, or superintendent or president could say, I hope that someday you'll look back on you, you know, and you'll be able to say your life is better because you worked here. I think that's kind of the pinnacle of well-being that um that maybe, maybe more organizational leaders could strive to so then then people aren't treated as a commodity, but you know, we've got we create a workplace where we're investing in people and helping them be be taken care of. Of course they're gonna be better employees, more productive and and those things are gonna work themselves out. But uh, if your motivation is to help the person grow and and have experiences that someday they'll look back on, we're all going to leave the organization at some point. But if you leave with a good taste in your mouth, you're going to be a brand ambassador, say good things in the community, and and that employment brand is carried with you throughout the rest of your life beyond your career. So I, I think there's a ton of potential there that we we're just scratching the surface on, and we do a whole podcast about well being sometime. But I think there's, and I'm I'm not the only expert about it. I mean, I've I've studied a lot, but Um, there's, there's another, another level of organizational performance there. If we, if we're willing to go there.
1: Well, and I think it ties Mm -hmm. into where we started our conversation, where if we ignore the strengths of those that we bring on board, we force them into positions like, you know, what are you doing? Uh, that's not in your job description and that you might not care to do like your reflection question there. And then you're pushing people into active disengagement, which then leads to burnout, anxiety, anxiety mental mental you know kind of like you know that cognitive instability yeah i i don't want to be that person and you know and okay. i don't I don't think there's a lot of people who necessarily know they are uh i hope there aren't maniacal people out there intentionally but i think the growth that like your institute can offer and then paying attention to the q12 that just yeah. builds just a totally different mindset and direction of leadership
2: it definitely does and i you know, it's a longer term. Some people are nervous. So I don't want to ask if you want to stay here for five years. Cause what if you say, no, they're thinking about it already anyway, you know, got to be willing to go there. Or what if you're really going through something hard? Well, I don't want to have an emotional conversation with one of my employees. You'd rather have them stuff it. Do you think that's going to cause things to get better? You know, so I'm not qualified to have every conversation, but on my best days, I care enough to say, you know, willing to go there with you and if i'm not the right person to talk to let's find who is so that we can help address this challenge because look i'm having challenges too everybody's going through something there's a there's a graphic i saw the other day that is this big pie chart and it's like the label on the pie is uh you know someone's experience and then there's a little dot that says how much you know about their experience right 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 if we really care about our employees enough to be curious and, and and don't violate a bunch of boundaries and be weird about it but just kind of get to know family and interests and things like that. There's a lot of times we'll, we'll be able to help in a way that isn't necessarily in the job description, but it's the right thing to do. I, I believe talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I once had a,
1: a principal that I worked for who um, I was in the social studies department, history teacher, and we worked with this guy who he was a, a talented football coach and was constantly in the pit of pessimism that nobody appreciated him, that nobody cared, and and he that it was just his it was his narrative all the time, and he was always threatening to quit, and he was always threatening to quit amongst his colleagues, and and we would all go into the oh no no don't you know you're great and you're this, and I I as I've aged and and seasoned as a leader, I've learned that you know that's really just somebody fishing for feedback, but. I also saw something that I modeled, which was one day the principal came in and the, that gentleman made the threat of, you know, I think I'm going to leave because one, six and seven. And the principal said, you know, I care enough about you that I want to help you with that. So where do you want to go and how can I help you get there? Now? I don't know if he was doing some Jedi mind trick because immediately the other guy stopped his narrative forever. He called and, his bluff. Yeah, <laughs> But at the same time, what it modeled for me was if someone were to say to me in the five years from now, you know, I would like to be in Hawaii or working in the lab yeah. or whatever, I would say, all right, let's put together that plan so that I get the best version of you while you're here. Yeah. And then I can support that, but then also help you through that transition because we value you totally. Totally. opposed to the, if you don't like it, get out of here.
2: Well, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to lock the doors from the outside and keep them if they don't want to be there. That's not a humane thing to do. I don't even think it's legal. there's a there's a term in fundraising they say if you've been working with a donor for a long time and they show up at events but they never give or all that there's a line they'll say bless and release you know say thank you for your interest this doesn't feel like a great fit maybe there's another place that would meet your motivations we'd love to help you find that and and again some people just if they're groveling for compliments by threatening to leave, that's a deeper issue around recognition and, oh. and not feeling seen that needs to be addressed. That's not really a threat, but
1: that's, that's if you tolerate active.
2: that too much, it it lowers everybody's expectations.
1: Yeah, that's active disengagement. That's somebody who's working in their in their soft strengths. That's somebody yeah. who's just who's who we're not paying attention to. That's that's what I believe in my yeah. heart because. Cows yeah. can be turned to buffaloes pretty quickly if we can, if we can get them where they need to be because they want to be there.
2: Yeah. Just turn them around and slap them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the way well, they run. <laughs> yeah. So last question for you, Tim, and then we'll, we'll wrap
2: up here, but, um, tell me, what are you reading? Hmm. So uh, <laughs> I bought fourteen books right before the holidays because I have a little more downtime and I wake up a lot earlier than my uh, than my kids. Uh, the last book I read was "How to Build a Life" by Arthur Brooks and uh, Oprah Winfrey. You might have heard of of mm-hmm. her. I, kn- I know you've heard of both of them, but um, great book that summarizes a lot of the science of well being. Um, the book I'm reading right now is by David Brooks called "How to Know a Person." Um, I've read a lot of David David Brooks's uh, books over the years and um columns and things and he's, he's just a great thinker around a lot of important issues but uh this how to know a person I'm about halfway through it and, and, and I'm loving it. So those are two uh those are two that in the last week. <laughs> that is excellent.
1: Now Tim you have a summer institute for strengths finder. Is there anything that you want to share with about us about that or how people can get engaged with that or participate?
2: Sure. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, we'll do one in, in uh, end of July. Uh, we've got a day, I think it's the last Tuesday in July, uh, where we we host, and it's primarily designed for educators who are thinking about integrating strengths into their work with students or with their colleagues. Uh, we do have some business partners who come as well. Uh, we host it in Lincoln at the University of Nebraska College of Business. Um, mm-hmm. Our website's just business.unl.edu slash strengths. And that takes you to the Clifton Strengths Institute landing page. And there's a tab there where we'll be uh, publishing our speakers and things like that. So it'll be a full day conference and um, real affordable, but good chance to kind of network with other educators who are thinking about some of the same, th- same things. Good mix of a um, couple keynotes, some good breakout sessions, some ice cream, all those things. <laughs> he
1: is ice cream. As long as it's mint chip, <laughs> I'll be there. All right, we'll get you. All right, friend. Hey, this has been a great conversation. I think uh, you you really offered some great little kind of tips and quips and strategies there for those of us who are in the cult of uh, strengths and, and engagement. So I really appreciate you, friend, and thanks for your time today.
2: Thanks, Ted. I love what you're doing and all the people you're serving in the process.
1: So let's do some smart thinking. What are some ways that you can apply your strengths in order to support others to grow stronger? List two different ways that you can apply your learning from Tim today. And finally, describe ways in which you can lean into what you know about yourself to grow stronger for others. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening, and please make sure to share this episode with others who are interested in the strength journey or wondering about the strength journey or just need to hear two people talk about the different ways in which we need to lean into what we are good at in order to be the best versions of ourselves. And finally, thank you to the Well Pennies for their great music and all the different ways in which they support us. So please make sure to follow them on whatever social media platform you listen to music on. All right, as we close out here, I want to ask you to stretch yourself a little bit. Most people that I know have taken their Gallup Strength Finder once in their lives and then they just kind of put it away and maybe they run into other people who run around with their top five on their um, name tag or other places. And what I want you to do is I want you to really go back and review your, your top 10 and then go into and see if you can get your full report and read it. And read about yourself, reflect about yourself, and find ways in which you can grow stronger. Because our strengths are our strengths. A-R-E-O-U-R are our strengths. And what I mean by that is they're no one else's. It is who we are. It's who we are when we are best. And it's who we are when we feel most comfortable. So lean into them, learn them, use them, and learn to advocate for yourself with them. And finally, and most importantly, Become empathetic with others. You see, I've got strengths that I think are pretty awesome. But for other people, I've got blind spots that, because I am strategic and futuristic and a learner and I get excited about new things and doing different things, different ways, that can create a lot of frustration in other people's strengths. So, become aware, grow your empathy, and grow stronger for others. And this week, find ways in which to really reflect upon my last question for you. How can you be the best version of yourself by focusing on what you're good at?